We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined by my co-host Nick Pilato. Today's show is going to be a little impromptu banter back and forth between me and Nick. We've had a few shows in a row with guests, so we want to get back on and talk just ourselves about the New York Football Giants, the upcoming NFL Draft, which is now whew, 10 days away. It's going to be a busy time. You guys might not hear from me as much as usual during uh, draft Twitter this year. Now that I'm in a new role here at CBS Sports, it's going to be a lot of a lot of work, but I'm looking forward to that work. So you'll have to bear with me, and Nick will be my voice on Twitter. And we will still be doing podcasts, so don't worry. I'm going to fit it in somehow. But today, we're going to do one more show preparing for the draft because we felt like we needed to respond to, react, debate, talk about, banter. Dave Gettleman's conference call today with Giants reporters preparing for the NFL draft. Also joining him was Kevin Abrams. Giants cap specialist, so we did get a little insight into their free agent plan and how they structured those deals. So, Nick, I want to throw it to you, buddy. What was the key takeaway you had from Gettleman and Abrams' conference call today? And before that, give us a little update on quarantine life for Nick Filato. All right. So first off, quarantine life for Nick Filato. It's going well. You know, I usually split it up, which actually makes the weeks go by really uh, fast for me. I, I spend about a week at my girlfriend's place and then I spend about a week at my place so kind of splits everything up so I do enjoy that and as 
you know uh, I have a gym in my house that I'm able to work out. So I know you're uh, incredibly jealous about that. Very jealous, Jim. I mean, Nick. Jim, Nick. I'm thinking Jim. Jim's on the mind here. Who's Jim? Jim, like home gym. In oh, home like Jim, Jim. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Withdrawal, man. I haven't picked up a weight in two and three weeks. Dude, oh, I, that's that sounds absolutely horrible. And quarantine, man, just trying to read and just been really busy with the draft stuff. Once the draft stuff passes, you know, try to maybe learn a new language or something like that. But who knows? You know, just try to stay healthy, man. And as for this press conference, I was glad they did it. It, it gives the um, Giants fan base something to kind of glean from what they were saying. I'm glad Kevin Abrams was on the call, too. And it does kind of feel like Abrams is the one being groomed to be the long term general manager, which I feel like is going to be the main plan, I would say for Dave Gettleman and the Giants. I just don't know when Gettleman will ever hang up bootstraps on that. Well, my I think my main takeaway, first I want to touch on something you mentioned about Abrams. I actually think that would kind of be an ideal world situation where Abrams is the groom, groomed as a successor for Gettleman because if they continue to fail like they have on the football field for now an incredibly long stretch of games, they're going to have to blow the whole thing up. In all honesty, now, maybe that means keeping Joe Judge if they like what they saw from him in year one. But as far as the management goes and the process for building a roster, I think it's going to have to be a completely different voice, an out-of-the-room voice, somebody who hasn't been in the franchise and, and coming up like Abrams has. And that's no knock on Abrams, who I believe is one of the best cap specialists in the NFL. I really do truly believe that the Giants have never had a salary cap issue, despite constantly being spenders in free agency. I mean, this year they toned it back, but still spent more than a large chunk of teams. And just as recently as 2016, they had a spending spree in free agency. So really, I think he's done an excellent job there. And that was all with, you know, a franchise quarterback who made the most money of any quarterback in the NFL over the course of his career. So, and that was all against the cap. So love him from that standpoint, but if things continue to go in the direction they have, and we hope that's not the case, I think they will look and consider an outside voice, somebody who you know doesn't prioritize stopping the run and running the football as much because maybe that might not be the best way to build this franchise out moving forward. Yeah, someone like Lewis Riddick, maybe. I wonder if they would even bring him back in and see if he's still interested in that job and wants to leave media, which we've seen John Lynch do that from us with San Francisco, left media and had incredible success out there. And we know that the Mara family was significantly interested in Lewis Riddick. They interviewed him. He was the second uh, runner-up for that job, just didn't get it. Gettleman, they wanted to go with the familiar face, went with Gettleman, and I guess we'll see how it all plays out in the near future because I feel like if the Giants are picking in the top 10 next year, which is a really realistic uh, thing the Giants could be looking at, I think Gettleman might be out on his ass. If they are picking in the top 10, and I don't know how realistic I believe that is, because I really do believe I'm hopeful that the step forward comes this year, uh, mostly because I, I am very hopeful that Daniel Jones takes a step forward, regardless of what they do on the offensive line. That's a great point, but my main issue now, and I always think you had a more positive outlook on the Giants than I did, but now with everything with the COVID, that really, yeah. really concerns me. With And I, I love Joe Judge, and I love the potential of that staff, but not having a normal regimen Right. is going to hurt this team more so because it's a new staff. Whereas I look at the Redskins, who have a new staff too, but Ron Rivera has done this time and time again. This is a brand new coach with Joe Judge. Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent point. Now, I don't know if I would agree with the Rivera-Judge connection there because I still think that in both cases they have uh, specific 
you know, coaches on each side of the ball, offensive defense that still need to install a system. So I'm not going to give Rivera that much of a benefit of the doubt there. I think it's going to be tough for all of these teams trying to implement new systems on both sides of the ball. And the Giants find themselves in that boat. Normally, during a normal offseason, they'd be able to meet for team activities one week earlier than the rest of the NFL because they had a new coach. That's one of the rules of the NFL. This offseason, that won't be happening. So it is an interesting point, Nick, when I express optimism about this franchise moving forward because I do like what they've done in the trenches on defense and I think you know one or two big hits on the defensive side of the ball and Isaiah Simmons maybe could put them over the top on that side of the ball and then you know I'm projecting potential progression moving forward with Jones but like you said it's something to consider that the teams who are coming in with the same offensive and defensive systems and coaching staffs will have a major advantage in this COVID-19 version of the NFL season that we're projecting to happen. So that's interesting, Nick, for sure. But I want to, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah. Um, you asked before what I, the main thing I could glean from this press conference. And I would have to say the one name that kind of came, comes to my mind is, is Nick Gates and how they're going to utilize him. Cause you have two players right now that we can envision as ideal swing tackles in Cameron Fleming and Nick Gates. But if those guys, one of those guys has to start at right tackle, honestly, I don't think it's the end of the world type of scenario. I think they're both competent, but Nick Gates name got thrown around for offensive center too. They uh, Gettleman said that in practice under Shermer, he worked at center. So it's not foreign to him and it could be a possible option and if that is the case that changes a lot of what the Giants could do and now I look at that fourth pick though still and I'm like the Giants still need a franchise left tackle even if they have the Fleming Gates combination on the right side you're still going to need that franchise left tackle I still think that fourth pick is is leaning towards the tackle position more so than Isaiah Simmons and or some of the other uh players that might be high on Dave Gettleman's list <clears throat> Derek Brown yeah, I mean, well, hopefully not Derek Brown. It would just be an abject disaster if they used this pick on Derek Brown. And by this pick, I mean, even if they trade back, acquire more assets, and still dump a pick on Derek Brown, disaster draft for me. Even if they trade back this pick, acquire some more assets, and still use that pick on a Jerry Judy or C.D. Lamb, disaster pick for me. I don't need it. I don't want it. That's a luxury pick that I'm not interested in. The Giants are nowhere near Super Bowl contention where you can, in my opinion, make a pick like that, especially considering what's going to be on the board at wide receiver on day, uh, in round two, three, four, even five. But back to the topic that we, we that you broke, that you touched on, and I think it was one of the key takeaways from this entire conference call, and it was the talk of Nick Gates, because Nick, both of, both, both of us agree that what we saw in All-22 from Nick Gates was pretty damn impressive, albeit over a very small sample size. Now that's the question that Dave Gettleman and his coaching staff and his training staff are going to have to ask themselves, can we count on Gates and can we count on what we saw over a small sample size that was also not just exclusively at the offensive tackle position. Gates played a little offensive guard where, you know, I think me and you would both agree he was equally as good, if not better at guard than tackle. Obviously, you mentioned the, the throwaway line, or I won't call it a throwaway line, but the line about center. I felt like it was more of a throwaway line from Gettleman. I don't think he's headed in that direction at center. I really think what he said also about the center position, which we'll get to in a moment, uh, is that they're putting a lot of time into it, and I think he's going to find someone he likes. Because remember, center's not like these other positions. If you like a guy at center, there's a good chance you can target and get him because you don't have to use that first-round pick to get him. It's not like you love a guy at tackle. You're not going to get him in the second or third round. 
If you love a guy at center, but he's not like the Ruiz, let's say it's another guy, let's say it's a Hennessy, let's say it's a Biotish, and you got a shot at getting those guys a little bit later in the draft. So I still think we're going that direction. But back to Gates, I think you made a great point, Nick. I don't think that Gates and Solder or Gates and Cam Meredith even lead to an absolute disaster on the offensive side of the ball if they're starting at left and right tackle in a given game. Why do I think that? Because we saw it, man. The offense moved the ball last year. Did they lose some games because Nate Solder blew snaps immediately that led to Daniel Jones fumbles? Yes. Did they also lose some games because Daniel Jones fumbled the football in situations he probably shouldn't have because he was a rookie and because he has a fumbling problem that dates back to Duke that we're hoping he can fix? Yes. So when you factor all that in, the fact that they moved the ball still with these tackles they had last year, and Nate Solder was playing just as bad as I believe Gates or Meredith will play in the 2020 season. Now, I'm hoping Nate Solder can get back to his 2018 style, or even better, go back to 2017, 2016 Solder. I think that's far from a guarantee, and I think you'll agree with me. And, and Dan, you're talking about Cameron Fleming, not Cameron Meredith. Oh, my bad. Cameron Fleming. Cam Meredith is a guy who still gives me nightmares because I targeted him in so many fantasy drafts as a sleeper pick. Even after he tore his knee out, I thought he'd be awesome with Drew Brees and the Saints. But that that's still on top of my mind. I got to get it off. But Cam Fleming, of course, the actual player on the Giants. But back back to this, um, I don't I don't think that you know it's an absolute disaster there. They lost games last year because of those factors that we mentioned, but also in large part because the defense continued to give up big chunk yardage plays at bad times. So for me, offensive tackle, they can get by with what they have. I don't know if I completely feel that way about center and about off-ball linebacker and about deep half safety and about edge. So that's kind of where I'm at with regards to his comments on Nick Gates and the offensive tackle position. I think that's a, yeah, I think you said that well. And another factor we need to uh, kind of make sure Giants fans are aware of, like how we always talk about how important positional coaching is and how Hunter, I don't want to sit here and just shit all over this guy, but he was, he's just not it. Okay. He was a good friend of Pat Shermer's. He was in Cleveland with Pat Shermer and even stayed, I think another year after Pat Shermer was like going Cleveland and it was just ineffective. And then he was let go, I think by the Hugh Jackson era or like right as Hugh Jackson was hired. And he gets this job out of no merit. It was just pure cronyism, basically. And Which I just, is far more common at the NFL level than people realize. It's so nepotism, cronyism is everywhere. And you got, you know, good nepotism. You have like the Shanahan's and uh, hopefully Steve Belichick, uh, Bill Belichick, uh, end up developing into a really good nepotism. Hopefully Steve does too. But I think Mark Colombo's addition, and I know he's only been a coach for what, like, five seasons four or five he's relatively new to it he used to, i mean i remember when he used to play yeah so and i'm and we're not even that old but like i think he'll do a much better job developing the younger guys and kind of implement a, a system that's not just going to be that inside zone where it's just oh it's second and eight let's run an inside zone now it's third and nine and i don't believe that's going to be the case and i said we said this dan said it last year we thought the offensive line had some talent. There were some holes, but I think Will Hernandez has talent. Kevin Zeitler has talent. I thought Mike Remmers played better than I expected, and I just don't think they were being maximized. Now I hope with Jason Garrett's offense, with Mark Colombo as the offensive line coach, they could be maximized. And if the Giants do add a tackle, do add a center higher in the draft, I believe those the development now, the COVID-19 thing, that's going to play into this because we don't know how training camps, mini camps, OTAs, all those things are going to develop. But I do hope that the, the development of the younger players are going to be just much uh, 
much more refined than it was under Hunter because it just wasn't there. Yeah, and that's fair. And I think that kind of harpens back also to a comment Dave Gettleman made, and it can be interpreted in, in multiple ways. And he talked about why they didn't go crazy at the offensive tackle position in free agency and mentioned that he really liked the depth of the offensive tackle position in the draft. Now, does he mean he likes the depth up top with the big four and he feels like he could trade back and still get one of the four and he has equally as high grades on the four, so he doesn't really care where he goes to four? Or does he mean that he sees another Taylor Moden in this draft? An offensive tackle he traded up to select on day two of the draft in his final draft of the Panthers, who immediately became a stalwart star, an awesome starter on that team. He's one of the best right tackles in the NFL. Got him in round two. Didn't have to use a top five pick. Didn't have to use a top 10 pick. Found him anyway. Darrell Williams, before the injuries ruined his career, is a guy that he found in fourth round. That's more of a developmental prospect. Just because he developed very fast on that Panthers offensive line doesn't mean it's going to happen all the time. But Gettleman has a process for evaluating offensive tackles and offensive linemen in the NFL draft. And he believes in his process. And he believes in what he sees. And just because a consensus ranks a certain group of tackles in their top half or as first-round grades, I don't think that means that Gettleman is going to subscribe to the consensus. If he feels like a Yang type or if he feels like an Ezra Cleveland, and I'm just throwing out names, I don't know that these are the guys he's specifically going to feel like this about or if he's going to feel like this about any of them at all, Nick. But if he feels like a Cleveland or if he feels like, you know, well, like I mentioned, a Yang is worthy of a first-round grade, he may feel comfortable not selecting one in the first round, even if he does trade back. So that's something that really interests me there, Nick. And I want to see what your take on your take was on his comment about the offensive tackle depth. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to take away from that because you look at the day two picks, like you mentioned some, Ezra Cleveland, Lucas Nyang, that the injuries with Lucas Nyang, that's going to be a concerning thing. Ezra Cleveland has all the athletic ability you want. It's just he needs to put on some more weight and be stronger at the point of attack, be a little bit more physical. But I also heard uh, that he was dealing with a significant turf toe injury, which could be damning for him and his effectiveness at the point of attack and dealing with strength. So you look at Prince Tegawanoga from Auburn. He's another player where Auburn runs a ton of pin pull, runs a ton of getting them into space. And he did a solid job doing that. I think he would be a player that would interest Gettleman where he has the length and all the things that Gettleman might look for. And before you go, I love that call on Prince because we haven't talked about him much on the podcast. Our guests haven't talked about him much. But if you look, this kid has an unreal backstory, and that's something we know Gettleman likes. We know he's going to prioritize. And when you factor that in with what Nick just pointed out, that he has some success and experience in a gap scheme and gap power blocking teams, which we expect, we fully expect, will be coming to the Giants with the addition of Colombo and Jason Garrett's offensive system, it seems like a maybe, maybe we found a fit there. Yeah, definitely. And I think Alex Taylor, um, he's somebody who uh, might be getting pushed up boards a lot. He's mm-hmm. uh, the offensive tackle from South Carolina State. And he's another one. He's like 308 pounds, but he's like six foot seven. And he has like 36 and a half inch arms. Just needs to get stronger at the point of attack. Now, I'd, maybe the Giants are going to have this with Joe Judge coming in, new coaching staff, this this like weightlifting routine to really help those guys who kind of struggle with power maybe that can help. And now again, the COVID-19 situation may affect that when it comes to the early parts of this off season uh, training regimen and strength training regimen. But I look at those developmental tackles. I'm trying to figure out who exactly he may be referring to. Terrence Steele from Texas Tech. You got Sadiq Charles, who Kyle Krabs yeah. brought up on the podcast. Isaiah Wilson, who Krabs brought up as a riser as well. 
With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might be thinking, there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Are you missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That is Blue Wire, all one word, to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Dude, honestly, I've been hearing, and it's crazy how this draft process works, but Isaiah Wilson, I'm hearing about in round one, which I watched yeah. Isaiah Well, Since I've heard that, I, I went back to Georgia's tape, and I turned it on, and I focused on Isaiah Wilson other than Andrew Thomas. Mm -hmm. And I think you love Wilson's length. Like Kyle was saying, he, his feet aren't as slow as I originally thought. He does have movement skills. He can like move his hips, but dude, his punch location is so erratic, dude. He, he like never gets inside on the chest. That sounds like Eric Flowers to me. I think it could Never be developed worse with his hands than Eric Flowers. Eric Flowers was one of the worst tackles I've ever seen in his hands. But the shitty part about it, and it still it bugs me to this day, is Eric Flowers had like his he couldn't do pass sets, bro. Like he he his legit pass sets like, were the worst things you'll ever study on tape. It's it's amazing that a general manager could watch that tape and think that he could fix a player, think that coaching can fix a player like that. It's crazy. And I know he was decent on the Redskins line last year. Let's not overstate how decent he was at left guard because that's all he was, decent. But he also had the be the second or third best or first best offensive line coach in the NFL and 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 <laughs> to factor that in. And they ran the ball like every freaking play there. They, they ran an offense, an old school offense, where they're running the ball 30 to 35 times a game. So he wasn't really in too many true pass sets there. Uh, with Washington, but yes, go about, go on. I needed to rant about that. And you're right. And also, when you're playing guard, you're not kicking out in the space, yeah. and giving edge rushers a two way go to attack the half man. You have a tackle and a center right next to you, which is best for Eric Flowers. But yeah, that was a total dereliction of duty by Jerry Reese. But you know what? We we smash Reese a lot on this pod, and I think it's rightfully so, to be honest. But same time, he's a two time winning. Uh, freaking manager or general manager, which is kind of incredible to think about, but that's yeah. I mean, know. he inherited a Corsi's roster, and yeah. and he, he had Eli, and he also inherited Eli Manning. Yeah, of course. And there's a lot of variables that are at play, but uh, yeah, no, Sadiq Charles and and Isaiah Wilson, though, like like I was talking about, Isaiah Wilson. I don't know, man. That that punch, the punch placement, the punch time, everything about his ability to latch on to defenders just gave me concern and pause, but. General managers will fall in love with someone who can move and someone who has length and someone who has power, and he has all those things going for him. So he's definitely somebody who I wouldn't be shocked. There could be six tackles selected in the in the first round, and that says a lot about this tackle class, but I wouldn't be shocked if Josh Jones and Isaiah Wilson slip in there. And I even heard on – I can't remember which podcast it was, but I heard on a podcast that there are people in the NFL that would not be surprised if Isaiah Wilson is selected over Andrew Thomas, and I thought that was ridiculous. Wow. And I want to look at this a little bit more on a macro level too, Nick, because I think if you look at it, like what can the Giants do to improve this roster fast? Because like we talked about on the Gettleman uh, Ultimatum podcast, or the, the Jay Glazer report, he wants to win that. Gettleman doesn't want his legacy to be three losing years of the Giants franchise, regardless of what ends up happening with Daniel Jones 
as, as a fact, as a member of this franchise moving forward. He wants to win. He wants to have a winning season. He, he, he wants it more than anything. And if he believes that they can get by with Solder, Nick Gates, uh, and Cam Fleming, and I don't think that's totally crazy to believe that, by the way, as we just talked about earlier in this podcast, and then a developmental guy who he believes can come in in 2021, or best case, he's just he's, he developed faster than anyone expects, and he's ready to take over at midseason point next year if, you know, Soldier's struggling, if Fleming's struggling, if Gates is struggling, then he might see a clear path to improving this team by not going tackle in round one and not going tackle in round two and doing something like Isaiah Simmons and a center or something like Isaiah Simmons and an edge or something, or I'm sorry, yeah, Isaiah Simmons and an edge maybe even, or something like, you know, hopefully not Derek Brown and then, you know, a center or an edge or whatever it may be, or a deep half safety as well is obviously in the mix as well if he sees somebody he likes there at 36. So the point I'm kind of trying to make is the depth of this tack, people are going to go crazy if the Giants don't take a tackle with one of their first two picks, but I'm not. I'm not going to be one of them who goes crazy, Nick, because I see far more developmental uh, offensive tackles in this class that I'm intrigued by on, day, on late day two and early day three than I see offensive center. No, maybe not center, but then I see deep half safeties I'm intrigued by. Then I see off-ball linebackers I'm intrigued by. Then I see edges I'm intrigued by. Yeah, and you also got to kind of factor in just the mere fact that Dave Gettleman has developed and found, like we've said, these tackle prospects and these offensive line prospects later in the draft. He kind of has a track record of doing that and getting the most value out of those midday picks. So he's done it in the past. So I wouldn't lose my mind either, but I'll add a caveat to that. And it's just, it depends on who the selection is. If it is Derek Brown, what does that say? Like, okay, let's, let's do this hypothetical. If it is Derek Brown, is Leonard Williams tag rescinded right there? Do you feel? No, you don't, you don't think so. No, he believes in a heavy rotation on the interior. Which is, you know what, you know what's incredible to think about though. And I was, I was thinking about this. You got the Eagles. Eagles kind of get applauded for their yeah. defensive front. Yeah, they they just signed Javon Hargrave to a big deal, and he's a fantastic player, one of the most underrated players in yeah. the NFL. Underrated. And they signed Malik Jackson last year, yes. and that's with Fletcher Cox. So they kind of have that rotation, and no one really bashes them for it, yeah. but it's because they have success, and they also have other. They don't really have the linebacker depth. Their linebackers have always been a little shoddy. But they went off the edge. That's yes. the difference. Yes, they went off the edge. But even some of their edge, like Derek Barnett hasn't really lived up the right. first-round pick out of Tennessee. He hasn't really lived up to the hype oh. quite yet. But Brandon Graham, I mean, Brandon Graham has been amazing. Still a great player, Brandon Graham, yeah. But I think the difference is they're, they're, they're not – and this is the same thing with the Ravens, who are also mimicking the same thing. Good teams, by the way, do want good interior defensive lines. This is kind of what, what I've been trying to talk about before. It's just the way to do it. It's the way to build an inter- interior defensive line. Yeah, is it important to have a really strong interior de- defensive front? Yes. But is it important to use early draft picks and a lot of draft picks to build an interior defensive front? That I don't know. Because I do think that among all positions in the NFL, interior defensive linemen is the deepest by far across the NFL. And it ages the best. We still see some of the best players in the NFL at that position as older guys. Calais Campbell, for example. What did the Ravens have to do to acquire him? They gave up a fifth-round pick, and he's by far and away better than any interior defensive lineman the Giants have right now, in my opinion. He'll be better than that lineman for 2020, and I think he could be better than any lineman the Giants have for 2021. That's just how well he's aging and how ridiculously unicorn defensive prospect he is, by the way. He was just, he's just a freak of nature, Clay's Campbell. But the same goes for Hargrave. Yeah, the Eagles 
paid him a lot of money, but they don't lose a draft pick to get him. They still have their entire whatever they were, you know, they traded their third for Slay and whatnot. But they don't, they, it's, it's how you acquire these guys that I have the issue with. It's not prioritizing interior defensive linemen, Nick, because as we both agree, the minute they find it, they hit on an edge, everything's going to look so much better when it comes to Williams and Tomlinson and Hill and Lawrence and McIntosh, they used a fifth-round pick on, who's still getting some snaps. It's all going to look a lot better when they finally find something that works off the edge. But again, it's just kind of the process for me. Yeah, you you really nailed it, though. I mean, think about think about how nuts it is that some of these general managers of the Ravens and Howie has done, made this a living trading fifth, fourth, sixth round selections to get pro bowl type caliber players and then the giants and not i'm not sitting here just bashing gettleman it was a terrible move there's there's no if fans or buts about it you don't do that in a losing season but you traded a third round pick for somebody on an expiring contract and when we talked about that man like i wasn't totally against it because i was like dude they have to have a wink and nod kind of agreement like they're gonna sign an extension they're gonna get them extended and then that would look like, okay, he never hit free agency and they got the deal that would probably get him at a value or something like that. That's what I was assuming, but that didn't happen, man. And now we're in this current state that we're in. So it's, it really pisses me off. I understand your, your frustration there, Nick. I actually, though, kind of take the other angle there. Um, I prefer him to play out this season for Williams to play out the season on a one-year proof contract. Cause for me, he still has a lot to prove. Yes. We like what we see on the all 22, for sure. He's for sure helping that defense. But in order to be a 13, 14, 15, whatever million per year player, that's not somebody who's just improving a defense. That's somebody who's changing a defense and making a massive impact on defense. And he's still 26 years old. I still think the Giants are hoping that a change in scenery, a change in system, and a change in supporting cast will unlock his full potential. That's obvious because he was a player who... Coming into that draft class that he came into, I thought he was the best player in that draft class. I thought the Jets got an absolute steal at six when he landed there and he fell there. But we still haven't fully seen it on the NFL level. So I'm okay with the prove-it deal uh, when it comes to Williams. Yeah, I, under, I understand that too. And I'm not saying that the Giants, I didn't think the Giants were going to sign him to a, like a huge contract, but I thought there would be like a favorable contract for the Giants. Oh, I thought that was the reason that Gettleman made the trade. Not, I don't know what Gettleman's reasoning was, to be, to be honest, looking back on it, because he doesn't have him signed to a long-term contract and he basically just gave away a top 70 pick for nothing. And it's, it's asinine to think about it. And speaking of the defensive tackle, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about the defensive tackle position, but like Derek Brown's amazing. And I love Derek Brown and he's going to be a great player, but you cannot allocate, you cannot allocate assets to, to that position when it's no, no. by far your deepest position. And you just yep. spent a first round pick on him. You want to add, if you want to add like a bull rushing penetrating type of defensive lineman, go draft Devon Hamilton at like one night, one ten or whatever. Like if, yeah, if, you, if can you find have. three techs later in the draft, like, come on, that situational three techs you can find, like, you know, obviously they're not using that style deep, but you know what I mean? Situational pass first defensive lineman later in the draft, the interior defensive lineman later in the draft. Exactly, man. You don't, you don't, and I, I honestly don't even think you, you don't need that. You brought in Austin Johnson. Man, you don't need that. You don't even have any room for it. Enough is enough here. Especially with bringing in Austin Johnson, they're probably going to give a decent role to I mean, Hill, Johnson, Donaldson, Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams. And not, at some point, enough is enough there at that position. And you didn't even say BJ Hill and RJ McIntosh, who are probably going to see yeah. snaps. Like it's, it's very, very deep. Now, athletic linebackers, you need athletic linebackers. You need, I think the Giants are okay at defensive back at the moment. I wouldn't mind them adding 
one, but it's not, not to me, it's not a necessity after bringing in James Bradbury, but you know, you need the center. You need a lot of edge help. You need athletic linebackers. You need tackle depth. I think you could use another receiver to be honest. And yes, it's yes. there and the giants don't have, they have a lot of picks, but a lot of them are in like the set. The three of them are in the seventh round, you know? So oh man, I, I just, I really hope my ideal, what is your ideal scenario with the fourth pick Dan in terms of, the Giants finding a trade partner, trading down, getting more assets, and uh, and kind of landing a uh, landing Jedrick Wills, say, or their their OT tackle one at like seven. Let's save this, Nick, because I think we can actually do a larger, longer podcast on where we are at in our process with the fourth pick, where we were, and what's changed and why that's changed. But back to the actual takeaways from the presser, though, because that's that is definitely something we want to hit on, and we will. So stay tuned, guys. We're going to do a pod on that. But as far as the presser goes, one other key takeaway I wanted to ask you about um, with regards to the Giants' process moving forward is what they said about how they're evaluating this process differently than others, both in free agency where they strayed away from signing players with injury histories because they couldn't guarantee the physicals. And if these guys don't pass physicals, by the way, any free agent for the NFL this goes for the deal's off, and that's going to happen. We're going to hear that for the first time. You know, we're going to hear when they, whenever they, they're able to take these physicals, we're going to hear about some team, and hopefully it's not the Giants, that signed a free agent that's now back on the market because he didn't pass his physical and the team took a chance on, on an injured player. Now, I'm hoping the Giants don't have that happen to them, and I think that they made it a, a point of not having that happen to them. But I think it's also impacting the way they're, they're treating this draft process because they don't get a chance to watch these guys at pro days interacting with teammates. They don't get a chance to watch these guys walking through the Giants facility, talking to the training staff, you know, looking at the, the Super Bowls and trying to, you know, do they get a feel for these guys as Giants, you know, because that's what they want. And all that's changing. Gettleman made a point of that. And I think that could be something interesting to think about as we move forward with the draft. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I mean, like he made a point to say, hey, if you sign a high dollar guy and he doesn't pass a physical, where are you now? And it's basically like, hey, if I sign somebody and I don't know if his physical are gonna, is going to check out at the safety position or whatever position, and I think I have that need all, you know, hunky-dory and situated, and then the dude fails his physical because he's fat or he has something wrong with him or he has a chronic knee issue, then what the hell are you going to do? You're you All the other options that you had on the table, all the other options that you're scouting department have scouted your pro scouting department they're they're already signed by other teams so i right. think that's interesting and i mean you look at the ties and i thought the question was formed uh, was brought up in the way where you look at the the ties that gettleman has with a lot of these players in his past and yeah. a lot of the players with the coaching staff and it makes sense i think it, giants have been doing that a lot recently giants did it with james betcher in arizona uh giants have done it a lot in recent memory but i think a, that's just kind of commonplace around the league people coaches have the guys that they trust and obviously, if, if it works out, and I would say James Bradbury, that selection worked out for the Carolina Panthers. I would say that that was a, a solid pick. He played well for them, was covering number one wide receivers. Then I don't see why the general manager wouldn't feel comfortable in bringing him onto the team at a reasonable deal, which he did with James Bradbury. So it was, um, it was, a, good, it was a good question, though, by uh, whoever asked. I think it was actually Patricia Trana. So caps off to one of my bosses. Yeah, shout out to Pat Trana. And also shout out to uh, the for, to the reporter who asked about Jadeveon Clowney and Marcus Golden, two defensive edges who remain unsigned. And it seems like, based on everything Gettleman said in the past and today, they're not planning to sign these guys really, no matter what. Um, as far I mean, their cap is is spoken for at this point. But 
they're not planning to sign these guys, and they're planning at the edge position to pretty much have an edge by committee again. It didn't work last year. They're hoping that the change in defensive system can scheme up more pressure. That remains to be seen. I think the better chance that happening is a year three leap from Carter or a year two leap from oh shit, from X-Man or, you know, Kyle, Kyler Fackrell, who I freaking love, just actually being a really good football player who kind of got screwed by the Packers signing both Zedarius, both Smiths, and by the Packers, you know, bringing in, what's his name, the Michigan kid, Rashawn Gary, the first round of last year's draft. He kind of got screwed there, to be honest, but... I think they're counting on him for a really big role, and I'm very excited about him. He's the free agent acquisition I'm by far and away most excited about. Yeah, and Gettleman, you got to think, he drafted Lorenzo Carter. He drafted O'Shane Zimenez, so he's evaluated them. He had probably one- to three-year projections on both of those players, and he probably thought, okay, by year three, Lorenzo Carter is going to be more polished. He was a little bit more raw coming out of Georgia, and then O'Shane Zimenez, he just needs to add a little bit more sand in his ass against the run, but he showed a lot of... I, I think he showed a lot of uh, good things against the pass. I think he has really quick hands, showed some counter moves, showed some moves up the arc. He has good explosiveness. So I think Edelman's really banking on the development of those two players. And you bring in Fackrell, who has had 10 and a half sacks in a season not too long ago in 2018. So I think he's just really relying on that because he couldn't address every single position in free agency. And that's not going to hinder him from going out and drafting, say, a Zach Bond at 36 or Julian Aquara at 99 if he's available or somebody like that. I think he'll still trust his process, trust his evaluation, something that he has done a good job of doing is evaluating yes. the talent in the draft. So I think he's going to trust those, go out and try to find edge help that way, but he's not going to allocate a lot of funds to Jadavian Clowney or Marcus Golden, especially Jadavian Clowney with everything going on and all the injuries that he kind of had and the fact that he was demanding like $22 million. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, no doubt, Nick. Um, one thing I wish, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of wrap up here and then we can talk if you have any other key takeaways from the from the from from today's presser. Um, well, a couple, I actually got one more other thing I forgot that I wanted to touch on, but we'll start with this one. One thing I wish one of the beat writers would have asked was where they view the safety position right now. Because if you look at the offseason, they didn't do anything at safety and free agency, and yet they cut a player in Antoine Bethea who played ridiculous amount of snaps for them last year. So that's thou- over a 1,000 snaps they need to find a way to make up for. Bethea was on the field almost every snap. So I would love someone to have asked this question, for example. We know with the change from... James Batcher to Patrick Graham, we should be expecting a, a lot more single high safety looks with one safety high. Do you feel like you have a player on the roster right now, who, or, or player or players on the roster right now, who you would like to use in that role? Because I don't know the answer to that question. We saw it a little bit from Julian Love in that Bears game. He had a pretty good game playing more single high snaps, but we didn't see it enough. With with James Batcher's defense in general, and with any of the safeties on the roster, so that to me. If they don't feel like they have somebody like that on the roster, they may make the decision to move somebody up their board a little bit higher because they just have such a desperate need there at that in that role. Yeah. Ashton Davis is the name that comes to mind. John Ledyard and Kyle Krabs talked about him, and he has that kind of dynamic range. He just wasn't able to test at the combine, so you didn't really see it. Like you saw the explosiveness from Lenore Ryan's Kyle Duggar or Southern Illinois' Jeremy uh, Jeremy Chin. But I think that would have been an ideal question that I wish – they would ask, but I believe Gettleman would have came out with an answer, and I'm not going to do a Boston accent or anything, but I think his answer would have been, we have some guys on the roster. Uh, he probably wouldn't have named a name, but he might have said, you know, Love has done it in the past, and we are really high on him, and, you know, we're looking 
into the position, but we're really high on some of the younger defensive backs that we added over the last couple seasons. You'll probably say something along those lines, dance around it. But I, just thinking about, like, I mean, they played a lot of single high, uh, middle of the field closed with James Betcher as well, but it was Antoine Bethay in that role who was athletically limited, but it was a very smart player. Whereas I believe that Patrick Graham and this, this front office know that adding that single high safety in this draft if the opportunity presents itself is going to be a very uh enticing uh way to go and very enticing um pick to make and it kind of leads me into just thinking about those prospects in day two and day three there's a lot of players that i feel like will fit the giants mold and kind of come into this team and be really dynamic players and it Really, I really think Dave Gettleman wants to trade out of that number four spot, dude. I think that's a yeah. I got that feeling too from today. I really do. Now I don't know who's gonna. I don't know how it's gonna happen because historically and recently with Tom Telesco, the Chargers have not been a team that likes to trade their pick, and that's one that you think of immediately. Then you look at the Raiders, but historically and recently, John Gruden has not used the draft to find the quarterback position. He's been a big believer in trading in trade market and free agency to field his quarterback. So. If you knock out both the Chargers and the Raiders and you assume, which is what I assume based on what I've heard from some people who have close ties to the organization, that the Jaguars want to actually give Gardner Minshew a shot and keep just that rookie contract really under, under, you know, keep that cap space cleared at the quarterback position by just really leaning on Minshew's minuscule rookie contract. Remember, he was, what, a fifth or sixth round pick. So he's counting for 400, 500, 600,000 or something in that range against the cap, 800,000 max. So if you eliminate those three teams, Nick, where is the trade coming from? You would need to have Miami or okay. the Chargers. And again, like you said, the Chargers. But like I've also heard the Chargers, Tom Telesco, yeah, he doesn't move that much, but he's tried. It just hasn't materialized. He's even tried on the first round, I've heard. Uh, from someone who was in the war room that he's tried to move, he tried to move up. Okay. okay. Just didn't materialize. So I'll give that, you some hope. yeah, that, that gives you a little bit of hope, but you, you need to pit teams against each other because obviously it takes two to tango. And yeah. I, I think pitting two teams against each other will just drive up the value of the pick, obviously. But if Miami and, or, the Chargers value the same quarterback. That's what's going to happen. Now, right now I'm hearing a lot about Justin Herbert being linked to Miami. And that's kind of been the, the guy the whole time. It wasn't necessarily Tua. It was Justin Herbert. I don't really know how much validity it holds. It's just one of those whispers in the wind that you kind of get from uh, just being around, you know, uh, people in the industry. But, uh, and then the Chargers, it seems like Tua Tungabailoa would fit what they would want to do. And he has that, and he's been compared to Drew Brees and he could fit the West Coast style offense. Kind of hard for me to say, but that that would be the ideal scenario. And I don't think Dave Gettleman will trade out of the top 10. So I don't really know if he would go and uh, look at the Raiders who have two first-round picks. And then you got the Jaguars who have two first-round picks as well. But it doesn't fit what the Jaguars want to do at all. They're in full tank mode. They're in full Trevor Lawrence mode right now or Justin Fields mode. <laughs> but I uh, I think it would really come down to Carolina and – or not Carolina. It would really come down to Miami and, and the Chargers. And Carolina – kind of depends, Nick, right, based on how far they want to go because Tampa is a great spot. I mean, Tampa – just from the – theoretical trade standpoint. I mean, Tampa at 14, you know they want to move up. You know they want to lock in one of these tackles for Brady. It makes way too much sense. They didn't re-sign the right tackle. He's, he's played there forever and is somehow still a free agent. Obviously, he's, you know, he's older. He's not that great anymore. But 
they need a tackle for Brady. They don't have anyone to play that right side right now. So, but will the Giants be willing to move all the way back to 14? That's the part that I'm not so sure about. Now, would Cleveland consider trading up from 10 to guarantee a tackle? Uh, this is where you start to get into the boat. It depends if these teams really love one of these OTs and have them as the clear-cut number one, or if a team really loves Isaiah Simmons or Jeffrey Okuda, if they're potentially on the board, that type of thing. Yeah, and I think the Lions, they hold all the um, all yeah. the cards, to be honest. They're yeah. the ones who are picking right in front of the Giants. Okuda makes a lot of sense for them, but I mean, I, I, I'm pretty confident that it's going to be Burrow, Chase Young, but then at Detroit, I, I'm just not 100% confident. I think Miami or the Chargers or whomever could trade up to that pick, which would, you know, devalue four unless somebody else really wants a quarterback. And a lot of those teams really want a quarterback. But just from what Dave Gettleman has said in the past, man, I just don't see him wanting to leave that top 10, top 15 range. I think he wants to get one of those big four tackles or he wants to get Isaiah Simmons. I think those are his options. And Getting past Cleveland, I just don't know. Because I think I think there'll be a tackle av- available for Cleveland. I think Andrew Thomas might be available for that pick. Makai Becton, possibly. You know, I could see Makai Becton going eight to Arizona, too. So but the interesting really- thing there, Nick, and I, and I don't mean to cut you off, but the interesting there is will a team feel like they are in that position that we're, you know, I guess assuming, which we probably shouldn't, that the Giants are in, that they like all these tackles to a certain point where it's, you know, whoever gets there gets it. Because remember, the Cleveland's bringing in Kevin Stefanski He's bringing in that inside zone blocking scheme that we've that it's very similar to what Shermer ran, and I don't know if they feel like Makai Becton's going to come right in and be a good fit for an inside zone blocking scheme. Meanwhile, Andrew Thomas seems like a really nice, perfect fit for that inside zone blocking scheme, and I think Tristan Wirfs the same can be said there. Though I'm not sure the same can be said about Jadrick Wills. So if these teams feel, I, I don't think they're going to trade with Cleveland. I don't think Cleveland's going to trade. I think Cleveland's just going to sit at the pick and pretty much get one of the two that they want just by process of elimination. But, Same here. Yeah. but, you know, you start to get creative with it and you start to think, where is the trade coming from? Um, and that's kind of where I was at there. But let me yeah. ask you one more thing before we kind of wrap this up, unless there was something else about his uh, his presser or Abrams presser you want to touch on. As Gettleman was talking about the cap situation, he did make a comment about how next year, which, by the way, would only be year four of, of Barkley's rookie contract, and the Giants do technically have him under under team control through five years. And if they play this smart, like the Cowboys did, they'll make him play out all five before they dump cap space into him. I don't think that's going to be the case, unfortunately, but he did make a comment about how next year that they're going to start really, it seemed to me, he said, they're going to, you guys are going to start asking me about it, but it seems like the giants are going to strongly consider re-signing Barkley next year. It's part of the reason why they front loaded some cap space. Now it's other part of the reason why they want to have some freed up later. Um, we just saw today, Christian McCaffrey, this might be breaking news for some of you, was just re-signed to the richest running back contract in NFL history. He'll make about $16 million annually, completely resetting the running back market. Uh, that Those are wide receiver numbers, the big numbers, big numbers for the position. What did you make of his comments about Barkley, the cap, and, and you know a new contract? I think that he's going to look to extend him. And I, I know what he's saying. He's referring to his time in Charlotte when – the press down there was kind of banging him for either not uh, resigning Josh Norman to um, uh, waiting to sign Josh Norman. And then I believe he assigned the franchise tag Norman, then rescinded it, if I'm not mistaken. But there was a lot of of drama going on down there. And I don't believe that's going to happen with Saquon Barkley. I I do feel that he's probably going to assign Saquon Barkley kind of like what the Rams did uh, with Todd Gurley. And I'm not a huge fan of that. I'm fully Cowboys 
model right there, man. You let Barkley play the contract out, and if you want to resign him, then you do. Running back shelf lives, they're not super long, and that's why I did not like drafting him at that pick, and Barkley hasn't shown signs of slowing down, obviously. He's only his second year, but have him play those five years, have evaluate year after year, you know, game after game even, and see how he looks. You don't want to allocate that many funds into the running back position, but that's kind of where you're at as a general manager if you spend a top five pick, the yeah. second overall pick. On, and you know what? I, I don't know, man. Like, it, it's crazy to think that, like, Gettleman, he was so in love with Barkley. But I, I look at, like, I wonder if the Mara family had a lot to do with that selection as well because they wanted to extend the career of Eli Manning. I, I, I don't mean, know if that – I don't think that played a role. I know that's talked about, Nick. I'm, I'm not in that boat. Now, I, no, I'm not saying I don't think the Maras played a role in the selection of Barkley. They for sure did. But I would lean toward more so they were impressed with who he was as a person, how he was off the field which is, by the way, he's one of the best players off the field. He's great. You can, nobody can find anything wrong with Saquon Barkley. He's an incredible human being. And what he could mean to the franchise from a merchandise standpoint, which he's done excellent for the Giants in that regard, top-selling jersey uh, in 2018 as a rookie, from a PR standpoint, and like we just said, he's amazing off the field. He does awesome stuff with the fans and you know with his teammates, things like that. So I think that kind of face the franchise thing is more of a factor there, but I do get your point. Yeah, and I would also hate if that was the uh, actual reason because I don't believe in owners meddling. Let, let the front office delegate and let every, all the front office do what they need to do. But yeah, I, I'm thinking, man, they, he, he'll he probably give a, a contract to Barkley before it's up. And oh, no, that's he, lock, yeah. It, it, it this is work. a factor reality. <laughs> Giants fans have to know that when, Dave, when your general manager selects a running back, selects the running back position at number two overall and says, we felt like he's a gold jacket player, and he wins rookie of the year and looks during this healthy rookie season like he's almost already the best individual running back individual of his offensive line and quarterback play in the entire football league, he's going to be resigned, especially when we factor in the off-field stuff. It's just part of the process. They're going to have to work with Alec, with a roster just like the Cowboys have to right now and you know, just like the Panthers are going to have to. That allocates a lot of money to the running back position. I don't know if I agree with that. But it's the it's the factor reality, so you can basically can. And the fact of the matter is this, Nick, like we've talked about, Giants really haven't had that many issues with their cap anyway, so it shouldn't really hold them back too much. I, I see. I don't know if I'm on the same boat with you there. I I don't like allocating that much. No, I don't. I don't like it yeah. either. I don't no, like no. I I know you don't like it, but I know there are ways around the cap. But to me, man, I, I there's still going to be a lot of funds dedicated towards that one position to that one player and i love the player but i i look at that's gonna someone's gonna have to go someone is not gonna get a contract and you have to make decisions yeah. and guys like dalvin tomlinson now i'm not saying that's gonna happen to tomlinson because the timing doesn't really uh link up but say bj hill takes a significant step this season guys like yeah. him guys in that draft class they're gonna they might be out the door because you just can't resign them they'll go to some championship team and watch them hoist the lombardi trophy the next season and we'll be like ah good for that guy but it, uh, I, I just don't. Oh, I see your point there, Nick, and and I can think my point was more so like if they do see a significant step forward from Daniel Jones, 
they'll start to front load these deals and start to kick the cap down the down the road like the smart teams do, like the Saints and the Eagles, knowing you could just keep kicking it. The Saints have just been kicking that cap can down the road the last decade under Breeze, and it's never caught up to them yet. And yeah, it'll catch up with them eventually, and that's when they'll be looking for a new quarterback. So who cares if they have one season of just a gutted roster? It won't matter anything at all. And then the dead cap will be gone, and they'll be back to square one where they'll be kicking the can down the road like a smart team. So I more so meant that, but you are right. Even as, as much as you kick the can, there's still going to be that one guy that gets away because you're allocating so much to the running back position. Of course, and you talk about kicking the can. I mean, the the teams that have been kicking the can have been Philadelphia Eagles. And you look at the Eagles situation, yeah, their roster's good. They're winning the division. That's all well and good. But look at Alshon Jeffrey, man. Alshon Jeffrey, they can't cut him, and he literally has spoken out against the team, spoken out against the quarterback, and he's kind of like he's a probably done. I mean, the lower body issues have taken the toll. He looked like he was walking on some of his routes last year. I want to say that like his, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but his dead cap hit, if they were to move on for him, is like 20 yeah. It's something ridiculous. And that's what you get sometimes from kicking the can. <laughs> exactly. And then you have the Rams. from the worst on the injury front. That's what you can sometimes get. And then you have the Rams model where they allocated a huge contract to uh, Brandon Cooks and freaking. Well, their, their roster management has, will be something that's studied. Uh, in a few years from now, a big study will come out on that, and it'll be a great piece by whoever does that. And just remind, just remember, whoever does pick that up, if you heard it here, give me some credit for that. But what they've done is a whole, you know, trading every draft pick, loading up on all these contracts. It was, it's very interesting what they've done. Very interesting, and their window was big. So they're like, I don't like. I feel like they could have kept just drafting, and they didn't need to do the moves that they made. And the moves that they made were opposite of each other too. You're yeah. trading a bunch of assets to get high level players, but then you're re-signing injury prone players to huge deals before you have to. I was like, what? Make up your damn <laughs> mind. It didn't make any sense. No doubt, Nick. All right, Nick. Anything else you want to touch on from Gettleman or Abrams' uh, conference call, or is that about it? I think that's about it. I mean, the main takeaways, like you said, you got Nick Gates, you have him bringing up the edge position and a lot of other just questions about the contracts. And I thought it was interesting how we brought up, you know, if, if a guy gets hurt jogging or working out on his own since it's not in the facility, which I knew this, but it was just interesting to hear him say, since it's not in the facility under the supervision of the team, then that guy might have his contract rescinded. So that's yeah. very problemsome for these 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 guys who are not who are not past the sigil, the Blake Martinez, James Bradbury, Levine Toilolo, and et cetera. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this whole process eventually plays out uh, as we move forward towards, uh, I guess, what's the new normal, at least for now, in, in life. So anyway, on that note, guys, you're obviously going to hear from us again. It's draft season. we got 10 more days to go. A lot more content coming. Um, like I said, one hint that something that's coming very soon is going to be where we stand now uh, in our entire process with that number four pick. We're also going to touch on some more mock drafts that we have and some pieces of written work that Nick has published, and I'll be publishing shortly. I actually have three written pieces coming for CBS Sports, which is a rarity for me these days. I'm mostly just editing work. But I did want to step my toes into that arena with all the extra time we have um, during quarantine life. So big stuff coming ahead for the Big Blue Panther podcast. Keep it locked and loaded here. You know where to follow us on Twitter. We're always down to interact there. And if you want to support the show, it's the same thing we'll always ask. And if you've done it already, we thank you. Um, and maybe one day I'll start reading some of these positive reviews because we have some really, really awesome written reviews from you guys on iTunes that I can tell you guys took time with. Uh, I read one recently from Andrew Silvershine, a kid who I was friends with, dating all the way back to summer camp at Camp Wayne uh, when we were you know, 8, 10 years old. I've known him for so long. So cool to see that he listens to the podcast. He enjoys the podcast. 
and he was willing to take the time to write up a really nice review. Now, there are some one-star reviews on there for those of you who don't like me, uh, who think that I am too analytically driven. That was one of the comments, and somebody thinks they did. They don't like my take on the salary cap. That's all good. If you want to take the time to write a one-star review, that's on you. But for those of you who do enjoy the podcast and you want to give us a five-star review and you want to download the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, all that is all you need to do to help us out. And then we can continue to build out a really good show. So thanks, guys. Really do appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.